Totally on, totally on. That was Sugartown Road. They're a British band. Pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. So it is July 1st and obviously the fire began. I guess it was July 1st somewhere else when it began, but everything is firing on all cylinders from within the selected administration to election fraud, to the audits, to the corrupt and sell out pretend media that is supposed to be pro-America. You know, I, I loathe when people say, uh, oh my gosh, you're just nin 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 Because <laughs> you're upset because nin 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 It's like, no. There are whistleblowers and they are silencing whistleblowers. Mm, all of them might say, well, I don't trust because I... Really? <laughs> well, point to one thing that I have said a long time ago that has been wrong. While everyone was pushing the fake Eric Ciaramella bullshit as if it was gospel, I was telling everyone, no, it's a wiretap. <laughs> uh, he just happened to be there and they're putting him up as someone to fill this in because they can't admit that they were wiretapping. Yet, no, no, no. And now two years later, oh, damn. Well, they were really listening in. Then you have other losers that say, oh, Tucker Carlson and da-da-da broke the story of the NSA. No, read my article. I kind of told Tucker, you know, when there's a FISA warrant, they're looking at your shit. And it's not because he's the target. You have to think to yourself, you know, all of these people, they're investigating. Yeah. Dude, I'm talking to people that were rolled up by the feds. You think my stuff isn't being looked at? Of course it is. I mean, seriously, though, seriously, you want to call yourself a journalist, investigative journalist. Now, while um, we're playing this game, we'll allow them to each shoot each other in the foot. That's what they're going to do. They're going to throw each other under the bus completely. They are each going to throw each other under the bus Every single one of them. Because when people see that uh, whistleblowers that have actually told you everything you need to know right now, years ago, and were silenced, that tells you exactly where they stand. Every single spot that they fill. So while you can talk a good game, it's just talk because the people will never forgive you. Again, the left is the enemy, but they tell you who they are. The green fake tree huggers woke society tell you who they are. You don't have to fear someone that tells you who they are. Okay. You don't, but what you do have to fear is the invisible enemy that lies among us. The ones that tell you what you need or want to hear, knowing that they're leading you down the wrong way. 
I told you guys, when was the first time I played the Rico Suave song? Hmm? Very long time ago. Well, Rico goes into a lot of things. When you conspire to take, uh, take the elections, that's Rico. When you conspire to sell your country's national resources for personal benefit, that's Rico. When you try to exploit, uh, you know, uh, citizens, uh, benefit yourself. That's Rico. And you know, what else is Rico? So this, you know, demand letter to Infowars. <laughs> so apparently all these different people acted as agents of Infowars, which means they colluded with Infowars to exploit a minor for profit. Now, what does that mean? That can mean a lot of things, but the bottom line is they did it. And that's not Bergie's lawsuit. This is a minor that's suing them. So, and suing them for a good chunk of change. The names on that is Alex Jones. Um, hold on, let me pull it up. Let me see. So the names on that are, hold on, let me read it. Alex Jones, Rob Duke, Caitlin Bennett, that's the poopy girl. Ali Abdul Razak Akbar, known as Ali Alexander, Roger Stone, Emmanuel Defango Chavez, Haley Kennington, Miranda Heiseler, Scott Adams of Red State Radio, Angela Kimball, and Owen Schroyer, each individually and in concert under the banner of InfoWars to exploit the gross sexual crimes against the minor under the age of 14 years for profit. Now, what is a demand letter? Um, so what this attorney did was the attorney told them, Hey, you're being sued. You're going to be sued for this. Um, it says the above reference individuals conspired and acted in concert using electronic means, video, audio, email, direct messaging, and so on social media, social media posts, text messages, and image board posts linked to specific IP addresses to exploit minor Jane Doe after an exhaustive third party uh, investigators have uncovered evidence of the conspiracy which resulted in the exploitation of the minor child and have and i have also advised my client to file a criminal complaint with law enforcement i think that has already been done so it says this notice to all is to like not delete shit not take things away um you know we want you to preserve evidence anything from july 1st 2020 through present um, current law, state's rules of civil procedure, blah, blah, blah. And then there's a cease and desist. You're prohibited from any additional personal tax on Jane Doe for their attempts to identify the victim or attempting to further harass the minor. This demand is consistent with preserving a victim's rights and continued harm to the victim. We hereby make this demand for $500 million for economic and emotional damages as the video and posts reached a global audience. The victim sought counseling and had to change schools specifically because of the militia, malicious disclosure by agents of InfoWars. So these are the people that consider themselves news, right? And I'm just really shocked. Like Roger Stone is in there. Haley Kennington used to work for me while we were friends. You know, she got fired from big league politics for plagiarism, which I don't know if there was real plagiarism, but whatever. And so she worked for me and then, you know, that's really fucked up. And then I'm thinking all of these people that are patriots, they use Red State Talk Radio to do their shows. Damn.
Not so patriotic now, are you? Not so patriotic. Kind of sounds unpatriotic, if you ask me, uh, to be putting your show through a means that causes this. So that's a big deal. That is a very, very big deal. Yeah, and she also sabotaged Laura Loomer. I agree. Uh, this is a big deal. Where are these patriots saying that it's okay to be on that radio station when the owner has done things like that? It's really not patriotic. You know, uh, this is not something you should do. And a lot of them already know what they did, and they're okay with that. By the way, this is not Bergie's case. This is a minor. And uh, this is the way it is. They will be held accountable for what they did. And they should. And the people shouldn't let them get away with it. And, you know, a re if I found out that someone that I was, say, um, using and making the money, I think they're even paying him to air their show, maybe. Because I know that Scott Adams told me that he was going to start charging people to use his show. But, you know, they're making him a shit ton of money knowing what he did. I mean, how could you do that? That's really messed up. That's super messed up. So this is, this is where we're at. We got the, you know, and people are going to be like, well, that's not, well, you know, you did have Enrique Tario talking about how he's anti-abortion anti, uh, you know, this and that, anti uh, killing babies, yet he was uh, forcing his baby mamas, right, to get abortions and he was extorting them for it, right, Federique? <laughs> so uh, a lot of people um, need to really take a good look at um, when we say be careful who you follow, it's important. And there was this post, and I usually don't, you know, post these things, but I can totally relate. This totally sounds like something I would totally say. Expand your thinking. Why are we being attacked? Whistleblowers. Why are we being attacked by people who claim to be pro POTUS? I mean, why would anyone attack a whistleblower that's laying out all the, the deep state's dirty underwear? Do we have a face? Do we have a name? Do we use platforms where we collect followers? Selflessness. See, I would totally say that because I use platforms, tons of them. I've been on Telegram since 2019. I was on freaking Gab since 2017. I've been everywhere and everywhere for a very, very, very long time. Was it to collect? Do I really care if anybody follows me or not? I'm still going to do my thing, right? So let me just read more of this. This is actually one of those Q posts. Zero vanity. Why are we here? Why do we ask questions? The choice has always been yours. Use logic, free information. What draws people here? Now, Obviously, this post is talking about the Chan board, right? But I'm asking you, what is it that draws people here? Yeah, truth, asking questions, right? Expanding exponentially. 
They all claim to be insiders. They all claim to have insider contact. They fucking don't. Man, did I write this or what? Patriots do not reveal classified information. Mm? There we go. Mm? Why do we communicate this way? You have to think for yourself. Clickbait. We are a threat to profiteering. That's what's up. As long as they throw, oh, they bought you a car. You got, I didn't ask for it. And they're giving you money. They can give me anything because anything that they give me, I put right back out there. So I've not asked for it. I'm like, hey, if you want to, don't care if you don't. Well, I would care because I wouldn't be able to fund the lawsuits and support myself since I've been canceled. But I don't really because God will bring it to me another way. I might win the lottery. So I think, you know what? Damn, I could have wrote this specifically on May 11th, 2018. We are a threat to profiteering. Information should flow freely without costs. We established a series of proofs for this specific reason. Oh, you mean the proofs before May 11, 2018 that are now applicable in 2021 and 2022? Shit, stop. Undeniable. Anybody can deny my proofs? Please, please, please go ahead. Unpredictable. Coincidence after coincidence. Growth of my channel due to confirmations. Aha. Uh -huh. Damn, doesn't it sound like I might have wrote that shit? Real sources communicating with the people. Real sources communicating with the people. Unrestricted. Together. Control the information. That's what they do. Harness followers and profiteering. That's what they do. Shit totally sounds like I wrote this. Define media. What is the primary goal of media? To sell. Each of them selling a different narrative to their specific targets. Fucking hell. Totally sounds like something I wrote. I mean, damn. Selling makes money. Be careful who you follow. Define patriot. They want you divided. Attacks will only get worse. Now, I'm sorry. Totally. I mean, if I just wrote that as a paragraph or kind of just said it, you'd be like, yeah, that's totally what Tori would say. Totally sounds like something I would write. You know, who knows? <laughs> Fuck's sake. So even those that claim to be of truth with their stupid little digital red string, read this and don't see exactly what it's telling. It's telling those same idiots, look at what the fuck you're doing. It's out of my hands now. Look at this. Who's growing? Oh, exponential growth. Let's look at what that means. Hold on a second. Let's just hold on a second, okay? Because we should see this. This exponential growth, it's very, it's, it's, it's a valid thing. See, when you don't have bots, you have something called exponential growth. Uh, it's a curve. It's a, it goes right by on the line. We should, we should take a look at that quickly. 
Oh, look at that. That's actual growth from zero. When I started July 20th, 2020, growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. The hours watched. All kind of very grassroots. There's no, right? No Joe Biden take the quick step. Uh, you can't. Here we go. Growing and growing and growing. So for those of you that want to see, here you go. Look at that. Look at that growth. Totally looks organic. Like, okay, you can come, but even if you, oh, look, a million hours watched in less than a year. Because I started this July 20th with only 16. Okay? So these are the statistics, how many hours I've streamed. Obviously when I've been traveling, it's been less hours, damn it. I'm going to make up for that for sure. But these are the things that they, you know, don't like. They don't like the fact that there's exponential growth, that people are actually wanting to hear the truth. They don't want people to know the truth. The truth is not something they want because they can't make money off of the truth. They can't make money. They can't make money off of the truth because you got to milk it. And the thing is, what we need to do is understand that they are silencing actual whistleblowers. You know, when I, when I saw John here to help, I was so proud of him when I saw what he came out and said. It's really hard. Judy Mikovits, you know, all of them are telling you things and people are discrediting them because they had this or they had lawfare. Like Lieutenant Bennett, all of these people, all of them had lawfare. Yet all of them are shills, but these people who don't even know who the fuck they're decoding are telling you what's going on. Or here's another one. Let's pretend that Cyrus was right, that General Flynn was Q. Why would you say you have evidence it's him when they could take him down in a heartbeat? Why would you do that? If it was him, why would you say it's him? and say, I have proof. I would never do that. If I, you know, knew I wouldn't say because that sets them up. So, you know, it goes both ways when people say things. We need to start using some, the six inches between our ears and it's called common sense. Stop putting targets on people's backs. Like I said before, you know, someone asked me, so I'll answer it. Someone was like, you know, what, you know, for me, my, you know, my mother is, is dying and I want to go see her and I can't because I admitted to working with global security group, global strategies group, global group, whatever you want to call it. And if I fly outside of the U S you know, they can nab me for espionage on behalf of this private company that was John Brennan's. I can't, but you know, all these fuckers out there are trashing me when I've done all this right for my country. That's what's up. So and it's not like I did anything wrong in those countries, but it doesn't matter. Right now, what they're doing is wrong, and anyone that has done any good is an enemy. So P 
people need to think twice when they listen to these asses talking because that's what they are, little buttholes that escape air the right way to make a sound. So again, when we say be careful who you follow, it's not because of the red digital string, okay? A lot of people love that stuff, right? A lot of people love it. They do. Why not? Rabbit holes are fun. It makes you think. And if you're high <laughs> on your edibles or smoking pot, damn, a rabbit holes are like a must, right? But the truth is, is that aside from the rabbit holes, you are trashing actual whistleblowers, actual whistleblowers. You didn't trash Snowden when he came out and they propped him up and put him on a pedestal and made a movie, right? You didn't trash XYZ, but because all the whistleblowers now have no avenues to whistleblow, how is someone going to whistleblow? When their boss is involved, how is someone going to whistleblow? You will be remembered as the biggest pieces of shit. You know, I'll be the first one that says uh, totally openly. And I say this, even though I know from my end, from what I know of John Brennan's operation with what Snowden did, if indeed, and like I said it, I think Snowden was predicted to be able to say something on what was happening. And they banked on that, therefore used that to garner everyone's information. Regardless, he's still a whistleblower, but why he did it is a different question. So, um, you know, it wasn't really, really a whistle. He, he helped them create what they wanted to do. And I think now he's realizing that they used him to do that. I'd be the first to eat complete humble pie and apologize until kingdom come. If I have said anything wrong, um, you know, against him, I know that he's, you know, somewhere in Russia now living in exile from his own country, uh, where he actually did make available crimes. But the thing is, are you making available the crimes because you knew that they needed to take you out after you did what you did? Or are you making it available to, you know, made available that knowledge of the crimes because you were a patriot and then they also knew that you were a patriot and used you to do it. So you guys were just playing spy against spy. Whatever it is, I'd be more than happy to apologize. I can make mistakes too, right? I'm not that good on remembering all history. But the things that involve me, I know very, very well. The things that I'm doing, I know very, very well. For anyone attacking any whistleblower, it is disgusting. And they need to be hung by their toes, because the only thing they care about is their ability to make money rather than say, um, hey, these are whistleblowers. Why do you think that I did my own publishing um, and published with my name on Big League for that first time? Why do you think I put my name on it? Because any single time I would give information to reporters, they wouldn't cover it. 
Every single time I would give information to people that I believed were on the people side, they didn't cover it because I didn't have a list of names of who to go to, right? I know all of them were um, controlled, but I have attempt. I had been attempting for a very long time to put this out. I did in 2013 <laughs> and <laughs> 2014 and 2012, and that cost me everything. But, you know, losers with their red digital string will tell you I'm a shell when everything and a lot of things that are actually happening are because we've unleashed it. See, that's what, what bothers me the most that they put profit over country and they don't care who they piss on to do it. Patrick Berge is not the nicest person when it comes to uh, them using his invention, salty as shit. We argue all the time. Anytime he sees one star, two star, three star, or four star generals, he breaks out into hives, Right. And it's more because none of them are doing anything. He sees like, you're in a position to do something. You should do something that does not excuse uh, any type of, you know, brazen behavior or saying things that aren't such right for click shits and giggles. Who knows? Right. But the thing is, he's still right. He's a whistleblower and nobody cares what he has to say. They all care about circle jerking each other rather than saying, let's help and save our country. Let's get together. You know, I saw that someone posted how Brian Kate said, well, why is she dripping the laptop? That's because if I put it out, then nobody else reports it, Brian. Because for some reason, people are still delusional and think people like you or other reporters are actually the news when they're not. That's the problem. So kind of like I put that Tucker Carlson article rather than you fucking read it and see that I was warning him, you're on his laptop. They're looking at you. You sat there saying there's nothing in those emails. But read the fucking article. See, that's the problem people don't read anymore. They really don't read anymore. Everybody is skirting around thinking they know what they're talking about when they don't. They think that, you know, something, <laughs> I mean, how many of them were telling you that the media is calling the elections? None. I actually had someone, was it from, who was it? Shoot. See, they're so unimportant, but they're obviously a name um, that, hold on a second, that um, they literally told me, you're insane. The media can never call freaking any elections. You're so stupid. You're totally discrediting yourself. And I was like, um, but they're going to do it. And it's like, where is that little bitch that told me that now? See, this is, this is how... This is how you can discern who's really on the side of America and who's not. And it's the people that give a voice to those that are being silenced the most. While all these little bitches claim, oh, I've been deplatformed. You mean they took away your gravy train on YouTube? <laughs> 
Deplatforming is what Laura Loomer went through. Deplatforming is what I am going through. All my jobs have been canceled. I can't work. I'm not allowed to work. Okay. I'm not allowed to use any convenient methods of payment. I have been banned completely. And everywhere I turn, someone is going to tell me what a piece of shit I am because I was connected to someone that was completely evil, holding me accountable for disgusting things somebody else did. Makes no sense. Or they'll trash me because the attorney general, who, by the way, has been attorney general for 23 years in one state, highest human trafficking rates, has overseen all of that, attacked me in retaliation because I got his fucking U.S. marshal jailed. His deputy was jailed. The U.S. marshal resigned in the middle of the night on December 31st, 2016. I got a sheriff rounded up for distributing drugs. I reported nurses and doctors that were over-prescribing, all of them under his fucking purview. And his cousin is one of Epstein's besties, owns Oxygen and Nickelodeon. She's from North Dakota, Kitty is. But, you know, and you've got pictures of her on Epstein's jet. But, you know, you know best with your red digital string. Now, I know you wish you never went there, but you fucking did. And this is me telling you the heat's up now. It's done. It starts now. Uh, you can probably still make some off on the uh, election audits, but people will be dropping you faster than everything because the election fraud, I told you about that in 2019. Millie then did a report that clearly said, are they going to steal the 2020 elections based on that? I actually gave the math of the Dominion machine in my article. And this is why Dominion sent me a letter to remove an article from 2019 that didn't even mention them. But you know, you know best, right? I'm, I'm, you know, you're like superior. And so you trash whistleblowers like John here to help Bergie and myself. What do you expect a whistleblower to be? Especially someone that did the shit I did. What do you expect them to be? A priest, a nun, <laughs> because they are some of them. What do you expect them to be? Consistent history, verifiable when they're supposed to be fucking ghosts. This is how stupid people are. She's just calling them stupid. So now you will be held accountable. I have been waiting forever for this. I would like to see just how all of you can start shooting each other in the foot, starting with, you know, where you're at, where are you? So I'm really upset and fired up because the more I see that they attack whistleblowers, but then they only embrace the ones that Project Veritas does. And Project Veritas doesn't do government whistleblowers. They are the ones that infiltrate within and, and take people out, just so people know. But they'll embrace all of those, right? And anyone that really has things to put out, they drop. They attack. How many of these shills attacked John here to help? Tons of them because he's a source of information and they can't have that. How many attack Lynn Wood for representing John here to help and just being Lynn Wood? Oh, he was like this. So it doesn't matter. Have you ever heard of redemption? See, redemption is doing things that you, because you're a sinner or because you didn't really want to, but still did it for whatever reason. Maybe it was a mission. I don't know, whatever. Right. But you did things. 
or you work with people or you conducted operations, right? You could be like Bill Barr, for example, was Bush senior's right-hand man was sitting down in Costa Rica, having drinks, Noriega saying, bitch, where's my money for the Clintons, right? He was CIA. He then created, right? A, um, system within our prisons as AG to profit off of people they lock up, making it very lucrative to put people in jail. So Barr did all that, even though his dad was fired after hiring Epstein in an all girls school. I talked about that fucking years ago. Now everyone's trying to make it seem relevant. Wow. Can he redeem himself? I don't know. Time will tell. Because redemption is how you grow. Redemption is how you move it along. Redemption does. Redemption allows you to grow as a being. When you realize, when you're that prodigal son that comes home and your dad slaughters the fattest freaking sheep they've got and cooks it and says, welcome home after whoring and spreading all that wealth. Redemption is one of the most important, I think, People that are trying to redeem themselves are the best of all, because you know what it looks like that those that are redeeming themselves, all the good boys, you know, like the son that was like, why father, why does he get that? I've been a good boy. You get spiteful and jealous and disgusting. Cause I had, I had people texting me. Why the hell do you get a car? You're a freaking shill. And I was like, what? Hmm. No, 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 no. And so I thought there was a really good song for all the haters to listen to and for everyone to contemplate on the lyrics of. Um, it's actually quite nice. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard it, but I'm going to play it now since I have permission to play this. So. How much more do they think we gon' take? Bill Gates couldn't come up with the update. Simple, all of that bullshit gon' wait. Politics sick, that's why we don't quit. So we in spaces where we don't fit. Like Air Force Biden, man, he gon' trip. 10% shoes, the bottom's too slick. He don't like ugly, that's what I heard. And VP smashing, laughing off herb. Sticking to the script is sounding absurd. They lock in the closets, blocking the nerds. It's cool. I heard that Black Crow was tasty. Four terabytes on a compact lace. Lace. We got troops in our troops. Camo, can we strapped on our boots? They keep sending us spiffs in our suits. So we online now, reduce attributes. VP in it, my deep state in it. Live by the model, we keep winning. Roll on the throttle, goodbye to minutes. I got a 5-5 today, it made sense But couldn't figure out what happened to my pants Money gets washed and then it gets rinsed We the news now, so here's my two cents Jackson showed me that moves could be made And Wims told trolls stop drinking the Kool-Aid Psyops made sure OG got paid And now we got lawyers fighting our rage Wuhan, Kansas, we should resist we saw Plum Island messed up the fish. So how many stories you think we gon' miss? Plenty names exposed on OG's list. Emails filled to the brim. Press send. All black TR3B, I'm in. Somewhere in the future after God win. But for now, I got a sound that you can comprehend. Oops, we got troops in our troops. Camo, and we strapped on our boots. They keep sending us spits 
How badass was that? <laughs> so you hear it from two sides. Why am I saying this? Why can't whistleblowers be protected? Why can't everyone be on the same team? I've said this before and so many say it now. The left is great. And the president has said this many times too. The left is great because they're united regardless if they like the person or not. They stand united. But the thing is they're too proud the ones that skirt the fence or think they know best or are really center left rather than center right or right. Well, the real right is like insane. They stick together too. the far, far, far right, right? Regardless, we've got to be centered. Pan metron ariston. Everything in moderation. That's how it is. We have to be able to appreciate things the way they are. Uh, you know, I had a conversation about, um, well, so some people, my daughter, let's take a kid situation. Well, I don't like this kid. And, you know, she's so like this and nah, 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 right. And it's like, she's so blunt. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah. She was very mean. I agree. But you know, your friend is also hurting because she has Tourette's. So you can't hold your friend who has Tourette's accountable for cussing every now and then randomly because you have to understand. It doesn't mean that it excuses the outburst, but we still have to be understanding, right? So when someone has an outburst and they say shit, they shouldn't say, you don't throw them out. It's not like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're like calling them out. You tell them you did wrong, but say, I still love you because I know you did it because of X, Y, and Z. And this is how we stay united when there's tolerance. See, we claim that the left doesn't have tolerance, but guys, they have a shit ton of tolerance. Think about it. They're all about, we don't want the big corporations making money, but who's making money with all the Dem policies that they're voting for? The fucking corporations. We want clean energy, but where are they putting... Where are they putting all this clean energy? Who are they destroying while they're doing it? They don't care about that. They just stick to the message. Whereas we, as Americans that govern ourselves, should say, listen, we've got the crazies, we've got the super conservatives, we've got the, the stiffs, the people that left their house with their hanger in their shirt, uh, you know, the helicopter moms, the chill moms, the stoners, the, the drinkers, the smoker, we got all of them. We all have to find some middle ground. And the middle ground is we want to be free. We want to self-govern and we want to take a little bit more action within our communities. Something that we have been talking about for a very long time on my show and that I've been putting out, uh, you know, now everyone's on that same page. Oh, you got to do it locally. No shit. What have I been saying? Why don't you push that message? No, because that siphons out money. And it's like, you have to understand that money is always out there. And when it resonates, when you're doing something good, like putting out good music, like Tom McDonald is boom, money comes. He doesn't have to go and sign out for it. He doesn't have to commit for it. 
he's going to take the plunge and do it. A great chef that, you know, sits and sets up right outside their house and says, who wants some of these, what were they called? It, it was a person that and did this, uh, bacon wrap dates that are grilled or something. I saw it out in, in Portland. I told the person, who are you with? And the person was like, just me. Do you know that he had lines lining up from all these paleo fruity people and just people like me that totally love different things? because it was so amazing. He put his heart into it, invested in buying all these fresh dates and this amazing pork bacon from a local farmer to, to make it. And, and suddenly he blew up and then everyone's starting to make date, dates wrapped in bacon, right? Pushing it as a paleo thing. The thing is, you always get what you put out. And I found this amazing meme last night when I was working. Um, uh, it says, karma is like 69. You get what you give. And this is what people forget. They like to talk about karma. They like to talk about, you know, uh, you know, why they're not getting X, Y, Z. Why am I not getting followers? Why am I not selling this? Why am I? It's like, well, what are you putting out? If you were putting something out that resonated with the people, you would be doing all of that. Why is President Trump getting all this money and not the RNC? Because he's doing what the people want. He syncs with them and the people want to support him. They want to prop him up and make him as, 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 as powerful as possible to crush them all. <laughs> That's the thing. That is the thing. You get what you put out. Always. You know, there was this comment. <laughs> I have to say it. Even though... <laughs> I have to say I laughed for a really long time um, yesterday when I saw it. But someone was in the Twitch channel. <laughs> Point fingers. It was so funny. Um, someone was in the t <laughs> was in the Twitch channel and said, "Tori's an alien," and uh, something like, "I'm I'm gonna harvest humans because." It was the Garden of Eve. Oh, come on. Where is it? That, that was so funny. I couldn't I couldn't help myself. Um, <laughs> it was put out. And it's like, damn. Um, hold on. Let me find it. Let me find this. Yeah, it says, Tori is an alien and they're going to harvest the weeds and eat them. They call it the Garden of Eve. Eve is a woman and bears fruit. What's the fruit? Humanity. It's like, all right. So now... I'm an alien that eats people. I'm not that type, okay? Um, so that was super funny. That was incredibly funny. So um, moving along, <laughs> moving along. Sorry, I found that really funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I found <laughs> I'm like, I just, just thinking, and I'm so sorry if that person is in the chat and, you know, I, I mean, if you're offended too bad, don't put you out like that. But I mean, like, um, like who says that? And, and then you have to think like, what kind of Kool-Aid is this person drinking to even say something that like that out loud? It's just, it makes zero sense. Zero sense. It's just, uh, I don't know what to say on it. I really don't, but I'm not that type. So um, 
here's what I wanted us to do. I wanted us to take a look at what our president said. Cause like I said, you don't even, you shouldn't, shouldn't even listen to me. Just listen to the president. Right. And so the president yesterday was interviewed by our favorite Emerald Robinson. There are very few journalists that really do, um, you know, push the boundaries of putting out the truth. And she's one of them. Let's take a listen to what she said to him. Right. With McConnell. Well, I think, first of all, Bill Barr was, you know, he started off pretty good and then he got worse and worse. And yet he did, took a lot of heat. And uh, with the heat, he got weaker. Uh, they wanted to impeach him. And uh, once they said impeach, he all of a sudden started uh, just not being the person he should have been. And Mitch McConnell has been this way. He's uh, uh, a guy that uh, he's a survivor. That's really what he is. He's a, just a survivor. And we need a better leader. In the Senate, we need a stronger leader, a better leader. Now, he raises money because of his position and he gives it out to senators and they vote for him. But uh, he should have won two races in Georgia that he blew. No, I'm not a fan of Mitch McConnell. Never was. He came to me. He was losing the election, losing it badly. He was going to lose the election to Amy McGrath. She had 80 some odd million dollars in the bank, was ready to spend it. He asked for help, came to the Oval Office. I gave him help. And he ended up winning by the most he's ever won by. And then after he won, uh, he went rogue. And that tells you bad guy, but it also tells you not good for our country. He's uh, not, the, not the guy to lead. You have some people that would be good leaders in the Senate. He's not the man. He's been there a long time, by the way, Mitch McConnell. And uh, he just, uh, they, they eat their lunch on Mitch McConnell. How would you like to see Well, I can tell you five names, but I'm not going to give them to you now, but maybe I will. Because I don't think uh, anybody that anybody that is for Mitch McConnell to remain leader, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time endorsing. And if I don't endorse people, they're not going to win. I, I, you know, I've covered you. If I don't endorse people, they're not going to win because we have to see uh, together this town hall that happened. But you have to understand that President Trump went down to the border and was treated like the president. Right. And his trip to the border sparked these uh, these insane catfighting things uh, within Kamala Harris's camp where, you know, she was upset. She wanted to go to the border so she can outdo Trump. And it's like, hold on a second. Do you really think Border Patrol will come to you and bow down to you if, um, you know, <laughs> if. Uh, you appear the same day that President Trump is? No, because you're not legitimate. And that is exactly how many, many people feel. This is how they feel. That they are not legitimate, and therefore they will not be given the same treatment. I mean, think when she went down there. Nothing happened. Take a listen. For years now. And I and others have noted that you're a little more subdued now that you're not in the White House, is there a certain gravity? Do you have, feel a different gravity to the situation facing America now as you're not in the White House and you're different, a different place and you're seeing what's happening? So we had a very, very successful administration despite the fact that a witch hunt going on for years still goes on. I mean, I had a witch hunt like nobody's ever had. So I had to fight that back. So did Abraham Lincoln and so did a couple of others. But I think mine was worse than any of them. And despite that, we had a tremendous administration. We cut taxes more than any other president. We got more regulation cuts by far than any other president. I rebuilt the military. 
uh, Space Force and did so well for the vets, the veterans at 92% approval rating with the veterans. They never had anything like that. We did a phenomenal job. Um, despite that, and then the vaccine, I came up with a vaccine in less than nine months, and they said it was going to take anywhere from three to five years and probably wouldn't happen. And I did that by being very, very tough with the FDA, to be totally honest with you. But uh, we do have some people that don't fight the same way. And when I look and see what happened, as an example, the border, we had the greatest border, as we said, and now we have the worst border. And that took a period of six months. Uh, it's a shame that that can be allowed to take place. A shame. So Trump is dangerous in 2024? Well, he's a friend of mine. I endorsed him and he went up big. He went up very big and he's done a terrific job. Governor of Texas, who I'm with today, Greg Abbott's done a terrific job. Uh, we have a lot of them that uh, have done a really good job that I've endorsed every single one of them that have done well. Some of them I haven't endorsed and they haven't done so well. But, uh, you know, we have some fantastic people in the Republican Party. We have some people that you get tougher and stronger. They shouldn't let go of the tax cuts. You know, all of a sudden I'm hearing that they'll let everybody pay more because the Democrats want to raise taxes. I can't imagine that because it'll kill business. But hopefully the Republicans are able to hold on to the tax cuts. And that's going to be Mitch McConnell. He better do it because people are wise to him now. Thank you very much. Thank you. So wow. 45, not exactly ruling out a run for 47 as well. Grant. Well, Emerald, great job with that interview. And you can see the president is focused on making America great again, making America, getting it back to where he had it. That's all we really want. Um, we're hungry for something because right now it is not working. Hey, I'm Rob Finnerty. Thanks for. Is it not working? No, 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 duh. So I want to take you guys um, somewhere quickly. So I posted it in Telegram uh, that Facebook is now rec recruiting Karens on Facebook. There's a pop up that is starting to pop up that says, are you concerned that someone you know is becoming an extremist? We care about preventing extremism on Facebook. Others in your situation have received confidential support. How can you help? Well, let me walk you through how they want you to help. Okay. Now this is real. Um, this is hundred percent real and you're hearing it here first just so that you can see how this is going to pan out. I told you it's going to get bad. This is where it gets really ugly. Okay, you ready for this? So it starts off with, what can I do to prevent radicalization? Violent hate groups are dangerous for both members of the group and the people they target. People join these groups for many reasons, but people who are lonely, isolated, or excluded may be more likely to feel connected to these group messages. Once someone joins a group, so obviously that excludes all of us because we're more than happy to hang out with family. We're not secluded, don't feel excluded, and we're not lonely and isolated. Next, um, when someone joins a group, they might finally feel like they have a place to belong. It might also feel good to blame their problems on someone else and feel like they're a part of a cause. People may get pulled into violence and hate with false promises of status, power, and protection. The attraction can be even greater for anyone struggling with their personal professional lives. Yes, that is 100% true. This is how you <laughs> recruit for the left. Next, signs that someone is at risk. It can be hard to know for sure if someone is part of these groups if they don't openly talk about it. 
However, they may do some of the things below if they have joined an extremist group. The more signs that are present, the more confident that you are, they are at risk. They may do the following, say discriminatory things, so show unusual amounts of anger or aggression, discuss or obsess over conspiracy theories, spend an unhealthy amount of time online, get tattoos of extremists. <laughs> oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Oh my- <laughs> Get tattoos of extremist symbols. Share memes or videos with extremist symbols. Keep in mind that these behaviors don't always mean that someone is a part of a hate or violent group. Your friend could be struggling with something else like depression, suicidal thoughts, or stress. What to do next? It can be upsetting or confusing if you think someone you know is involved in an extremist group. You might not know how to bring it up to them or what to do, but helping them is the kindest thing to do. Former extremists often, often, right, explain that violence and hate ruined their lives and broke apart their families. They also saw that violence didn't change the things that the radical group was mad about. Extremist groups... (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm really trying. Hold on. Extremist groups are harmful to the people in the group. Group leaders may lie or brainwash their followers with false information. The leaders may also take advantage of group members by having members do violent or illegal things. You mean all that shit we saw on the Zoom calls with the federal employees that were SESs telling all these, you know, non-binary, I don't know what sex I am, I don't have a job, I only have a degree in gender studies, and I just got fired from Starbucks people that were hanging out. Wait a minute, hold on. Wait, let's continue. (laughs) Group members may also face harsh consequences for their actions within a group. They may go to jail, lose their jobs, hurt their family and friends, and lose good reputation. The good news is there's hope if someone you know wants to leave an extremist group. You can start by having an open talk with them about what's going on in their life. Use the following tips when having... Use the following tips when having a conversation about this with your loved one. Think about the things extremism is giving them. For example, community or belonging. And think of healthier ways your friend can get those needs met. Think about how best to express your love and support. Focus on a two-way conversation and shared understanding. Listen with an open mind and stay calm. Avoid arguing if possible. Don't reduce your friend's identity to their involvement in hate. Don't label them as radical extremists or racist as this can make them defensive. You may need to get help from an expert or counselor. If the conversation goes well, you can also encourage a friend to get the help they need from a trusted partner, Life After Hate. You can also reach out directly to lightafterhate.com for help. I fucking shit you not. That's 100%. Next, we have worked with experts at Life After Hate to develop tools and resources to keep you safe. This is re-education. Pay attention. Their program, Exit USA. (laughs) They're literally telling you what they're doing. They are exiting the USA. Exit USA. Wait, you know, while I'm reading this, you should see this website because, you know, while the right-wing media is telling you the news, here's the real freaking news, okay? This is the stuff you need to be terrified about. 
Exit USA, life after eight. Their program Exit USA, meaning exiting the USA, is a confidential intervention aftercare services program that offers a way out of hate and violence. Exit USA has helped more than 500 individuals and families leave hate behind. Are you paying attention to what they're telling them? You come here, we will re-educate you to exit the USA. We should not be a country. Wait, listen, how can Exit USA help your loved ones? They combine credible voices of former extremists with the insight of trained mental health professionals. They take into account their clients' social and mental health, substance abuse issues, history of trauma, gender identity, and sexuality, and other individual experiences. They inspire change by forgiving and empowering others to seek forgiveness. They can help people rebuild their identities and reconnect with positive relationships the person had in their life before hateful beliefs took over. They encourage families to remain involved, providing ongoing support. Hmm. How Facebook responds. Nonviolent politics are allowed on Facebook. However, we don't allow people to limit the freedoms of others, discriminate anyone else, banned or protected characteristics, glorifying violence or praise or support known hate terrorist organizations on the platform to keep others safe, serious threats of violence, as well as hate terrorist groups aren't allowed on Facebook. We look carefully at the content, pages, profiles, and groups, and also work with law enforcement. If we think there might be real risk of harm, you can read more about this on Facebook's community guidelines. Now, while everyone is asleep, um, here is a uh, program called Exit USA. Totally means stop being hateful and come to the other side, okay? And it is possible to leave. <laughs> possible we can help. <laughs> Let's talk. You need to understand what is really going on here, okay? You really need to understand what's really going on here. They are telling you what this is about. So while everyone is sitting and thinking, right, this is your re-education camp. This is their testing ground. This is your Hotel California. This is it. Now, those red string theory people are exactly the people that would drive you to a re-education camp. This is their idea. Exit USA. Now, obviously, we don't have any fresh conspiracy theories because all the other ones have been proven true. But you have to understand what this means. They've partnered with Facebook. Okay? They partnered with Facebook. So this is a very big deal, Exit USA. This is telling you, exit the United States of America. Why would you turn your back on your country? Why are they having a re-education camp about that? This isn't something, you know, just out, what the heck, life after hate? Like, <laughs> so. This is their mission. Let's see. Let's share this together. Their team. Uh, they care about privacy. Where's your board? 
Are you kidding? Are you kidding? No. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. No. McCain Institute, shut the fuck up. Look, I mean, I didn't even, I've, I'm going to be writing an article about this and I have this like saved on the side, but I really wanted to talk about this since tomorrow I'll be traveling and I won't do a show. So, well, I'm traveling tonight, but you know, I won't be able to do a show tomorrow. So look at this. Oh my gosh. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Like, come on. This is like, what? 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 <laughs> what? Oh, come on. Come on. Ugh. These people, are you kidding? Yeah, you guys need to archive that. Um, archive it. I already got what I need. Um, you know, but this is the news. This is this is something you need to be aware of. It's coming. And obviously everyone else is going to start reporting on it too, which is good. I'd like them to. They need to. Even if it's sloppy seconds, you still need to. <laughs> but how Angela King is helping others exit the violent far right. What? Toxic masculinity. I kind of like the masculinity thing. I don't know why they're like that. So hold on. These people post an article, what, once, twice a year? Three? Hmm. After 2016 election, life after hate received a 20-fold increase in requests from people worried. But then their statistics said that they only helped more than 500 individuals and families. That's not, that's not a big man. If you say that's five years, that would be 100 people a year. Not much of a big thing. Okay. Damn. Cult expansion or what? Contact. They're in Illinois. See, that's their blog. What to do when a loved one sides with white supremacists? Watch life after head. Testify at a congressional hearing. Are we ready for accountability? What former extremists can teach us about lifelong change? Now, I'll tell you what. So a lot of people went to the uh, Capitol, right? And human nature has it that when you're in an excited state, you know, have you ever been to, you know, someone actually said this to me um, in, in the best way possible um, that was there, said, I felt really embarrassed. I kind of felt like I was at a Nirvana car concert and I wanted to get into the mosh pit. See, that's a mentality we have as, as human beings, as social beings. Um, humans tend to associate uh, their feelings and resonate at the same, you know, um, level. So they kind of get caught up in the moment, right? They get caught up in the moment. And that's, that's, that's fascinating that they help tap into that. Some of the, the video that I've seen, you know, um, actually, I, I should show it to you guys. Wait, one of them. Which one do I want to show you guys? Hold on. It's, it's really interesting, but I want to... I want to show it to you because it's quite fascinating. Um, and I think you'll appreciate it. Hold on. Let me just find it so I can put it up. It is, it is actually quite fascinating to watch how coordinated uh, these attempts were uh, to rally up the people. 
and how they did it, how they pushed through the crowd um, and how they got it done. Okay, so I found it. Give me a second. It's a, this is quite a fascinating thing to watch because it shows you just how easily swayed we are when we're in certain situations. Everyone is. Hold on. It's, it's, it is that one, right? Yes. Okay. Okay, guys. So this has never been seen before footage of the Capitol, you know, riots. So it's quite fascinating to watch it. Um, in the sense that, you know, the people were swept up. The people were feeling like they were part of the moment. And it's completely understandable. Again, everybody understands that feeling. You've been there at some point. While this is processing, let's take a look at this. Who does she have the goods on? Let me make it simple for all of you listening. Every single fucking one of you. you saw the orange stickers were the ones that said push push so um as you saw you saw that there were um uh you know uh what was it called ali akbar's orange army uh they were all out there uh this is exactly how they operated. As you can see, they were negotiating with the police officer to let them through. Uh, one of them is a federal agent. I mean, I called that a long, long time ago, but you know, the media has to wait until they're allowed to talk about it. So again, silencing whistleblowers, silencing people who actually have information. But uh, would you like to see it again? I would like you to pay attention to the conversation that is happening on uh, the left with the police officer and then the connection within the other two and then the orange stripe tape on the hats, on the hard hats and who um, and how the push uh, signal was given and from what end. I want you guys to pay attention to that again. Hold on. Oh, shit. 
So as you see, there's a lot of people there that, um, uh, yes, the orange flying thing. Uh, who, I, I, how many times have I said what happened in Ukraine is something I created? I created that game plan there. And anybody can say whatever they want, but I actually dropped it as the last item on my affidavit, just as a, you know, hey, maybe you want to look at this, because if you dig that legislation, you might find my name on it. But nobody listens. They just throw the whistleblower under the butt, under the butt, but, but, what, what in the butt. So um, they orchestrated this. So those that are silencing the whistleblowers are actually helping the people. So remember how, um, you know, that, uh, you know, Akbar, how he uh, was pushing the orange square. And he's like, everybody knows what that means. Yeah, it's a freaking color revolution. And orange, you can see at night. That's why it was selected in Ukraine. But And this is why Millie Weaver, you know, had video evidence of freaking Ukrainians. And if you look at all of them giving each other a signal, we put together a detailed report on January 8th and submitted it with every single bit of evidence. Yet everybody else silenced it. Now they're all circling back to damn Siam. The seal had some really good information and they're no fucking shit. And if you read my affidavit, it had all the information you needed too. So if people actually read it correctly, they would have seen it. When we were infiltrating their ranks counterpart did a really good job. John did a really good job. Huh. There it is. So the report that we put together after the fact, you know, um, on January 8th, I had come back because I had, um, to attend personal court hearings and I left DC. Millie was taking all of that stuff from us, you know, digitally and putting things together. She was piecing it together, putting it together. She did a really good job considering that she was down three people. Um, and well, obviously we can all do everything remotely, right? But we couldn't talk on the phone and do things. Um, so she did a good job, but she left a lot of stuff out. But that's because, you know, there was not a lot of communication. That's okay. That can come later. But we already knew what was coming. There's an affidavit that warns them of the actual insurrection on January 6th, provided to them in November. Not mine, somebody else's. And so, again, you know, there's only one reporter so far that has risked their career to put out whistleblowers, and, and that's Millie. And for myself, I've vamped into a reporter because, hey, what better investigative journalist is there than as, you know, Patrick Berge says, Tortor, you're a damn freaking spy. <laughs> I mean, there's no one better than that. So all the truth has been out there for a, a long time and now has manifested into facts later down the line. But these people, these alleged reporters, are so hard-headed that they think that it'll all go away. Kind of like, you know, Hillary Clinton thought everything was going to go away. Kind of like how the media thought that it'll just go away. How they believe that censoring people will just make shit go away. It doesn't make it go away. I mean, you know, usually... When, um, 
there are attacks on people. They die in the darkness, right? Every single hit piece they've done on me has backfired. Because the more you attack truth, the more the fire rages. And the biggest light is the one that shines from the darkness. Because it's the only fucking light in there. And it boomerangs so hard back when you attack that it will take you out in a heartbeat. I actually sent a person that I believed was out for redemption, uh, considering what they had done in the past and what they, what I assumed they were trying to do. And I sent them a really nice message per se. And, um, you know, they may like it, they may not, but it was pretty much simple. I'll read it out to you. Um, get it. I said, where is it? Why do I post my things and then not find it? There we go. You need to understand this. You talk shit, you get shit back. I'm a whistleblower and you've been attacking a whistleblower and propping up all agents against the people. You chose your side. Now you get to go down in flames with them. I invented irregular warfare. Most of this shit they're using against the people of the USA, I invented. That means I know how to counter it. The people will never forgive those that shut down whistleblowers ever. So I sent that to someone who had the cheek to, to, um, you know, go against the people. They think that they're protected, but when your leaders are the ones that are being hunted and you just haven't seen it yet, or you know it, but you think that they're unstoppable, then it's game over. See, it's just like what they did with President Trump. No matter how much shit they threw at him, they called him a criminal. They talked about prostitutes peeing on beds. They, you know, all the losers jumped ship, right? Then they came back with their tails beneath, you know, between their legs. But they did jump ship, right? They did. How much bigger did he get? Way bigger. Way bigger. He became a monster. So the question you should be asking yourself is if there's evidence, like, for example, these whistleblowers, like myself, for example, that has can't be like how many freaking coincidences can there be? Right. It's out there, but they still don't report the information. They still don't push to show the information. That means that the people that are actually controlling that information, controlling those operations, are also the ones controlling their pockets. So, unfortunately, they have to report it, but they cannot acknowledge the source because then that would give credence to whistleblowers. And we can't have that, can we? That's the thing. Take a listen to this. From Houston's Rice Hotel, Senator John Kennedy is about to address a special meeting of the Greater Houston Ministerial Association to which he has been invited. During this telecast, Senator Kennedy will participate in an informal question and answer period. The telecast of this meeting is sponsored by the Kennedy Johnson Texas Campaign Committee and is being seen throughout Texas on a special 22-station network. 
The audience you are seeing is composed of clergymen of the Houston area who have been invited by the association. Reverend Herbert Mesa will introduce the Democratic presidential candidate. The meeting is about to be called to order by the president, Reverend George Reck. May I call this special meeting of the Association of Ministers of Greater Houston order? Let us stand for prayer. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall praise him. With these words of the psalmist, we stand before thee, O God, as our only sovereign Lord. Forgive us, good Lord, and show us thy mercy. Let thy grace rest upon our nation. And do not take thy gospel light from us. Incline our ears to thee and to thy will. And show us always the truth that makes and keeps men free. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We are very happy that so many of you ministers are present at this meeting. The treasurer of our association... Pastor E.S. Harrison has wondered to me if some of you would not like to pay your dues for this time, this year, which begins with September. I am sure that he will be in the lobby after this session ready to shake your hand. We are very happy to see so many of you ministers present, and we want this to be a true meeting of the, the association. Under the policy of your executive committee this year, we wish to have as guests for regular and special meetings as many personalities of note and reputation as possible. The purpose, of course, is to provide not only a good program, but to give knowledge and enlightenment to the spiritual leaders of our community. Thus, a similar invitation was extended by the association to Mr. Nixon. Please understand that this is not a political rally. This is a meeting of the Association of Ministers. And we re rely upon your sense for good order, proper respect for the nominee to the highest office of our land, and good Christian behavior generally. Our little mouse has grown into a lion of significance. This has not been our original intention but things happen these ways. Nevertheless, may the atmosphere be informal here, an informal gathering of and may this such atmosphere be maintained. May I speak a welcome. <laughs> Reverend Mesa, Reverend Rock, I'm grateful for your generous invitation to state my views. While the so-called religious issue is necessarily and properly the chief topic here tonight, I want to emphasize from the outset that I believe that we have far more critical issues in the 1960 campaign. The spread of communist influence until it now festers only 90 miles from the coast of Florida, 
the humiliating treatment of our president and vice president by those who no longer respect our power, the hungry children I saw in West Virginia, the old people who cannot pay their doctor's bills, the families forced to give up their farms, an America with too many slums, with too few schools, and too late to the moon and outer space. These are the real issues which should decide this campaign. And they are not religious issues. For war and hunger and ignorance and despair, no, no religious barrier. But because I am a Catholic, and no Catholic has ever been elected president, the real issues in this campaign have been obscured, perhaps deliberately, in some quarters less responsible than this. So it is apparently necessary for me to state once again, not what kind of church I believe in. That should be important only to me, but what kind of America I believe in. I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute, where no Catholic prelate would tell the president, should he be Catholic, how to act, and no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote, where no church or church school is granted any public funds or political preference, and where no man is denied public office merely because his religion differs from the president who might appoint him or the people who might elect him. I believe in an America that is officially neither Catholic, Protestant, nor Jewish, where no public official either requests or accepts instructions on public policy from the Pope, the National Council of Churches, or any other ecclesiastical source, where no religious body seeks to impose its will directly or indirectly upon the general populace or the public acts of its officials, and where religious liberty is so indivisible that an act against one church is treated as an act against all. For while this year it may be a Catholic against whom the finger of suspicion is pointed, in other years it has been, and may someday be again, a Jew or a Quaker or a Unitarian or a Baptist. It was Virginia's harassment of Baptist preachers, for example, that led to Jefferson's statute of religious freedom. Today I may be the victim, but tomorrow it may be you. Until the whole fabric of our harmonious society is ripped apart at a time of great national peril. Finally, I believe in an America where religious intolerance will someday end, where all men and all churches are treated as equals, where every man has the same right to attend or not to attend the church of his choice, where there is no Catholic vote, no anti-Catholic vote, no block voting of any kind, and where Catholics, Protestants, and Jews at both the lay and the pastoral levels will refrain from those attitudes of disdain and division which have so often marred their works in the past and promote instead the American ideal of brotherhood. That is the kind of America in which I believe, and it represents the kind of presidency in which I believe. A great office that must be neither humbled by making it the instrument of any religious group, nor tarnished by arbitrarily withholding it, its occupancy from the members of any one religious group. I believe in a president whose views 
own religion are his own private affair, neither imposed upon him by the nation nor imposed by the nation upon him as a condition to holding that office. I would not look with favor upon a president working to subvert the First Amendment's guarantees of religious liberty, nor would our system of checks and balances permit him to do so. And neither do I look with favor upon those who would work to subvert Article VI of the Constitution by requiring a religious test, even by indirection. Or if they disagree with that safeguard, they should be openly working to repeal it. I want a chief executive whose public acts are responsible to all and obligated to none, who can attend any ceremony, service, or dinner his office may appropriately require him to fulfill, and whose fulfillment of his presidential office is not limited or conditioned by any religious oath, ritual, or obligation. This is the kind of America I believe in, and this is the kind of America I fought for in the South Pacific, and the kind my brother died for in Europe. No one suggested then that we might have a divided loyalty, that we did not believe in liberty, or that we belonged to a disloyal group that threatened, I quote, the freedom for which our forefathers died. And in fact, this is the kind of America for which our forefathers did die. When they fled here to escape religious test oaths that denied office to members of less favored churches, when they fought for the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom, and when they fought at the shrine I visited today, the Alamo. For side by side with Bowie and Crockett, died Fuentes and McCafferty and Bailey and Bedillo and Carey, but no one knows whether they were Catholics or not, for there was no religious test there. I ask you tonight to follow in that tradition to judge me on the basis of 14 years in the Congress, on my declared stands against an ambassador to the Vatican, against unconstitutional aid to parochial schools, and against any boycott of the public schools, which I attended myself. And instead of doing this, do not judge me on the basis of these pamphlets and publications. We have all seen that carefully select quotations out of context from the statements of Catholic Church leaders, usually in other countries, frequently in other centuries, and rarely relevant to any situation here, and always omitting, of course, the statement of the American bishops in 1948, which strongly endorsed church-state separation, and which more nearly reflects the views of almost every American Catholic. I do not consider these other quotations binding upon my public acts why should you? But let me say, with respect to other countries, that I am wholly opposed to the state being used by any religious group, Catholic or Protestant, to compel, prohibit, or prosecute the free exercise of any other religion. And that goes for any persecution at any time by anyone in any country. And I hope that you and I condemn with equal fervor those nations which deny their presidency to Protestants and those which deny it to Catholics. And rather than cite the misdeeds of those who differ, I would also cite the record of the Catholic Church in such nations as France and Ireland and the independence of such statesmen as de Gaulle and Adenauer. 
But let me stress again that these are my views. For contrary to common newspaper usage, I am not the Catholic candidate for president. I am the Democratic Party's candidate for president, who happens also to be a Catholic. I do not speak for my church on public matters, and the church does not speak for me. Whatever issue may come before me as president, if I should be elected, on birth control, divorce, censorship, gambling, or any other subject, I will make my decision in accordance with these views, in accordance with what my conscience tells me to be in the national interest, and without regard to outside religious pressure or dictates. And no power or threat of punishment could cause me to decide otherwise. But if the time should ever come, and I do not concede any conflict to be remotely possible, when my office would require me to either violate my conscience or violate the national interest, then I would resign the office. And I hope any other conscientious public servant would do likewise. But I do not intend to apologize for these views to my critics of either Catholic or Protestant faith. Nor do I intend to disavow either my views or my church in order to win this election. If I should lose on the real issues, I shall return to my seat in the Senate, satisfied that I tried my best and was fairly judged. But if this election is decided on the basis that 40 million Americans lost their chance of being president on the day they were baptized, then it is the whole nation that will be the loser in the eyes of Catholics and non-Catholics around the world, in the eyes of history, and in the eyes of our own people. But if, on the other hand, I should win this election, then I shall devote every effort of mind and spirit to fulfilling the oath of the presidency, practically identical, I might add, with the oath I have taken for 14 years in the Congress. For without reservation, I can, and I quote, solemnly swear, that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. So help me God. The question and answer period. You know the ground rules. Are there any questions? I think I speak for many that do not in any sense discount or in any sense doubt your loyalty and your love to this nation. Or your position that's in, in accord with our position in regard to the separation of church and state. But could I bring it down to where we stand right here tonight as two men of just near the equal age just standing facing each other. If this meeting tonight were being held in the sanctuary of my church, it's the policy in my city that has many very fine Catholics in it, but it's the policy of Catholic leadership to forbid them to attend a Catholic a Protestant service. If we tonight were in the sanctuary of my church, just right as we are, would you and could you attend as you have here? Well, yes, I could. Now, I can attend any... Uh... As I said in my statement, I would attend any service in the interest uh, that had any connection with my public office. Or in the case of a private ceremony, weddings, funerals, and so on, of course I would participate and have participated. I think the only question would be whether I could participate as a participant, a believer in your faith and maintain my membership in my church. That, it seems to me, comes within the private beliefs uh, that a uh, Catholic might have. But as far as whether I could attend this sort of a function in your church, whether I, as senator or president, could attend a function in your service connected with my position of office, then I could attend. 
very would closely allied to it was the tradition in regard to the chapel of the of the chaplain, chapel of the uh, chaplain that was dedicated, which I believe you once had accepted the invitation to attend, and then the press had said that I believe Cardinal Dowdy brought pressure and you refused and did not attend. I'd be delighted to explain because that seems to be a uh, matter of great interest. I was invited in 1947, after my election to the Congress, by Dr. Poling to attend at a dinner to raise funds for an interfaith chapel in honor of the four chaplains who went down on the Dorchester 14 years ago. I uh, was delighted to accept because I thought it was a useful and a worthwhile cause. A few days before I was due to accept, I learned through a, uh, my administrative assistant, who was, uh, had uh, friends in Philadelphia, that uh, two things. First, that I was listed, and this is in Dr. Poling's book in which he describes the incident, as the spokesman for the Catholic faith at the dinner. Charles Taft, Senator Taft's brother, was to be the spokesman for the Protestant faith. Senator Lehman was to be the spokesman for the Jewish faith. The second thing I learned was that the chapel, instead of being located as I thought it was, as an interfaith chapel, was located in the basement of another church. It was not, in that sense, interfaith chapel. And for the 14 years since that chapel was built, there has never been a service of my church because of the physical location. I therefore informed Dr. Poling that while I would be glad to come as a citizen, in fact, many Catholics did go to the dinner, I did not feel that I had very good credentials to attend as the spokesman for the Catholic faith at that dinner to raise funds when the whole Catholic church group in Philadelphia were not participating and because the chapel has never been blessed or consecrated. Now, I want to make it clear that my grounds for not going were private. I had no credentials to speak for the Catholic faith at a dinner or a chapel, which has never, which no Catholic service has ever been held. So that, uh, and to this day, unfortunately, the uh, no service has been held uh, at the present time. But I think if I may separate that, if this were a public matter, I told Dr. Poling I'd be glad to go as an individual, but I could not go as a spokesman. Canon Rutenbar of Christchurch Cathedral here in Houston. Really? Uh, I've read this platform and the planks in it with great interest and especially in the realms of freedom and I note that in the educational section uh, the right of education for each person is guaranteed or offered for a guarantee it also says that there shall be equal opportunity for employment and another section it says there shall be equal uh, rights to housing and recreation all of these speak I think in a wonderful sense to the freedom which we want to keep here in America. Yet, on the other hand, there is in another place in the platform, I read these words. We will repeal the authorization for right to work laws. Now, it seems to me that in this aspect here, and I feel that these are much more important than any religious issue. Here you are abolishing an open shop. You are taking away the freedom of the individual worker, whether he wants to work, and wants to belong to this union or not. Now, isn't this sort of double talk? You're guaranteeing freedom on the one hand, and yet you're going to take it away on the other. No, I don't agree with that. I think there's a dichotomy here in the platform. Well, that provision has been in the platform since 1948. The, uh, and uh, I'm sure there's a difference of opinion between us uh, on that matter and between many Democrats uh, on that matter. But I think that it's a uh, decision which goes to... Uh, economic and uh, political views. I don't think it involves a constitutional guarantee of freedom. In other words, under the provisions of the Taft-Hartley law, a state was permitted to prohibit a union shop, but it was not permitted to guarantee a closed shop. 
Now, my own judgment is that uniformity in interstate commerce is valuable. And therefore, I hold with the view that it's better to have uniform laws and not a law which is in interstate commerce. And these are all, this is not intra, but interstate commerce, which permits one condition in one state and another in another. This is not a new provision. It's been in for the last three uh, platforms. Max Gawke, president of Gulf Coast Bible College and pastor of First Church of God here in Houston. And I am a member, Mr. Mesa, of the Houston Association of Ministers. Mr. Kennedy, you very clearly stated your position tonight in regard to uh, the propagation of the gospel by all religious groups in other countries. I appreciated that much because we Protestants are a missionary people. However, the question I have to ask is this. If you are elected president, will you use your influence to get the Roman Catholic countries of South America and Spain to stop persecuting Protestant missionaries and to give equal rights to Protestants to propagate their faith as the United States gives to the Roman Catholics or any other group? I would use my influence as president of the United States to permit to encourage the development of freedom all over the world. One of the rights which I consider to be important is the right of free speech, the right of assembly, the right of free religious practice, and I would hope that the United States and the President would stand for those rights all around the globe without regard to geography or religion or political tradition. Thank you. Mr. Kennedy, this is E.H. Westmoreland, pastor of the South Main Baptist Church here in Houston. I have received today a copy of a resolution passed by the Baptist Pastors Conference of St. Louis, and they're going to confront you with this tomorrow. ...of KTRK-TV, this has been a special Texas State Network program. ...a statement from today. I had a telephone conversation with Dr. Poling and received this telegram from him. I'm sure you would like to clear this matter up. Let me read briefly from his telegram. The memorandum on religion as an election issue prepared by Senator Kennedy's associates has a section on the polling incident. This section contains serious factual errors. I believe the senator will wish to correct the errors or that he will wish to withdraw that section. The original draft of the program on the interfaith dinner held in the Bellevue Stratford Hotel on December 15, 1947, identified Mr. Kennedy, then congressman from Massachusetts, as Honorable John F. Kennedy, congressman from Massachusetts. Mr. Kennedy was never invited as an official representative of a religious organization, nor indeed as the spokesman for the Catholic faith. No speaker on that occasion, Catholic, Jew, or Protestant, was identified by his faith. When, two days before the dinner occasion, Mr. Kennedy canceled his engagement, he expressed his regret and grief, but stated that since his eminence, the cardinal, requested him not to come, he, as a loyal son of the church, had no other alternative. Therefore, it was necessary to destroy this first program and to reprint. Now, now I will state again the words that I used, or a quotation from, from, uh, from the Reverend Poling's book, Spokesman for the Catholic Faith the book which was produced about a year ago, which first uh, discussed this incident. Secondly, my memory of the incident is quite clear. In fact, it's as good as Reverend Poling's, because when the matter was first discussed, Reverend Poling stated that the incident took place in 1950, and it's only in the last two months that it has come forward that the incident took place in 1947. Thirdly, I never discussed the matter with Cardinal Daugherty in my life. I've never spoken to the Cardinal. I first learned of it through uh, Mr. Redden, who was my administrative assistant, who knew of Mr. Doyle, who worked for the National Catholic 
Welfare Conference, who stated that there was a good deal of concern among many of the church people in Philadelphia because the location of the chapel and because uh, no service would ever be held in it because it was located in the basement of another church. It was an entirely different situation than the one that I had confronted when I first happily accepted it. Now, there were three speakers. Kennedy was one of them. Taft was the second. Senator Lehman was the third. I don't think I misstated that they, one of them was supposed to speak for the Catholic faith as a spokesman in Mr. Poling's words, one of them for the Protestant faith, and one for the Jewish faith. Now, all I can say to you, sir, is this chapel, I was glad to accept the invitation. I did not clear the invitation with anyone. It was only when I was informed that I was speaking, and I was invited, obviously, as a serviceman because I came from a prominent Catholic family, that I was informed that I was there really, in a sense, without any credentials. The chapel, as I have said, has never had a Catholic service. It is not an interfaith chapel. And therefore, for me to participate as a spokesman in that sense for the Catholic faith, I think would have given an uh, erroneous impression. Now, I've been there 14 years. This took place in 1947. I'd been in politics probably two months and was relatively inexperienced. I should have inquired before getting into the incident. Is this the best that can be done after 14 years? Is this the only incident can be shown? This was a private dinner. This is not a public dinner. This was a private dinner. This did not involve my uh, responsibilities as a public official. Uh, it was, my judgment was bad only in accepting it without having all the facts, which I wouldn't have done at a later date. But I, I do want to say that I've been there for 14 years. I have voted on hundreds of matters, probably thousands of matters, which involve all kinds of public questions, some of which border on the relationship between church and state. And quite obviously, that record must be reasonably good or uh, we wouldn't keep hearing about the polling incident. Senator Kennedy. In uh, addition, uh, yeah. yes, I reason... don't mean to be disrespectful to Reverend Polling. I have high regard for his son. I have high regard for Dr. Polling. Mm. I don't like to be in a debate with him about it, but I must say, even looking back, I think it was imprudent of me to have accepted without uh, more information. But I don't really feel that it demonstrates an unfitness to hold a public office. The reason for our concern is the fact that your church has stated that it has the privilege and the right and the responsibility to direct its members in various areas of life, including the political realm. But we believe that history and observation indicate that it has done so, and we raise the question because we would like to know right. if you are elected president and your church elects to use that privilege and obligation what your response will be under those circumstances. If my uh, church uh, attempted to influence me in a way which was improper or which affected adversely my responsibilities as a public servant sworn to uphold the Constitution, then I would uh, uh, reply to them that this was an improper uh, action on their part, that it was one to which I could not uh, subscribe, that I was opposed to it, and that uh, the, uh, it would be an unfortunate breach of uh, an interference with the American political system. I'm confident that there would be no such interference. We've had two chief justices of the Supreme Court who were Catholics. We've had three prime ministers of Canada in this century. I've already mentioned Mr. de Gaulle and Mr. Adenauer. Uh, my judgment is that an American who is a Catholic, uh, who is as sensitive as a Catholic must be who seeks this high office, as exposed to the pressures which whirl around us, that he will be extremely uh, diligent in his protection of uh, this, uh, the constitutional separation. We would be most happy to have such a statement from the Vatican.
if you guys think that digging something up from 14 years ago when he was a kid being thrown at him was just for President Trump or Kavanaugh, where they had this whole thing going on uh, that it might have been, I don't remember what place, but I do remember this kind of thing. Uh, you're wrong. They've been doing it all this time. Yet, you have to remember he ran on the Democrat ticket. And that question was one that uh, should send chills down your spine. He said, we know the church manipulates politicians. How can we be sure that they won't manipulate you? And he answered the question very well. He swore to uphold the Constitution, and it shouldn't be in there. But you know what the reporter said that all of us missed? All right. Well, I want a statement like that from the Vatican. Because... As time will go, starting today, today is the time that you will realize that there will be casualties, actual casualties, either that way of whatever they've got planned and how they will implement. It is going to get really bad starting today, uh, bad in the sense that you're going to realize this war, you're going to understand that you're at war. And... Um, the question as to why they have uh, a re-education camp of Exit USA should answer the question as to what this war is about. Today we mourn for those that will be mourned later. And you have to understand that irregular warfare always existed. And all roads lead back to Rome. It's quite bad. So I think it's important to... End today's show with a reminder of my first fire set that didn't really pan out the way I hoped it would have. I hope you guys enjoy this. Here we go. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and welcome, Mr. Brennan, to the committee. I thank all of you for being here. I joined Mr. Lobiando. It is really an honor to be able to meet with the intelligence community all over the world, and we thank them for their work. My questions are regarding Iran and obtaining the nuclear weapon. I'd like to ask some questions about that, but before I do that, I'd like to ask a question of Director Brennan. When the White House conducted their armed drone strikes in North Africa, particularly in Eastern Libya, prior to the attack on our mission in Benghazi on 911 last year, did the White House notify the State Department of the armed drone strikes before they were made? Uh, armed drone strikes in Libya? Um, unknowing of, of such, and I would defer to the White House to uh, address your question. Were there any armed drone strikes in Northern Africa that were made by the White House? The White House doesn't have uh, a drone capability, responsibility, whatever, so... I, I, Did they have any directives toward having armed drone strikes in North Africa? Again, I don't know what it is specifically referring to, but uh, again, I would defer to the White House on whatever happened at that time. Well, you speak to the capability, the, the UAVs that were over flying over uh, the military and were unarmed. And so were there any armed drone strikes that were made in North Africa prior to 911? In Libya? I'm asking North Africa, I'm asking the, I'm asking Director Brennan, were there any armed drone strikes that were made by the United States in North Africa prior to 911? Well, we usually don't talk about any type of specific actions, but uh, I, again, I don't know what you could be referencing. I'm, 
I'm just wondering if the State Department was aware or if the military was aware or if the CIA was aware. And if we aren't going to talk about that, we aren't going to talk about that, but that's a, a question I'd like to know. Going back to Iran, what is our red line regarding the Iranian nuclear weapon development program? And I would ask Director Brennan, what is our, what is our red line? Uh, that clearly is a, a policy question. That's one of the things that the intelligence community is trying to make sure that policymakers are fully informed about developments inside of Iran and their uh, nuclear-related uh, pursuits. But regarding the, the nuclear weapon program and our intelligence uh, capability, again, we have a wonderful intelligence community, but we weren't aware of the, of the bombing in 1993 at the World Trade Center Tower. We weren't aware before 911 occurred in 2001. We weren't aware of the Arab Spring developments and we weren't aware of the attack on the mission in Benghazi. How do we have confidence that we will know when Iran has amassed the capability of developing a nuclear weapon? I ask that because the president said last month that it would take approximately a year for Iran to develop a nuclear weapon once they had made that decision. Last week, we know that the current negotiations have gone without any breakthrough or any development. And so I'm very concerned about our intelligence capability of knowing with a high degree of certainty when Iran has either made the decision to develop nuclear weapons or has obtained nuclear weapons. I think this subject and I'm much, much better talked about in closed session. I, I would look forward to that, and I'd appreciate that. Could you comment on what is happening with, uh, we talk a lot about uranium development with Iran's nuclear program, but Iran is also building a heavy water reactor capable of producing plutonium. What's the status of Iran's heavy water reactor? Well, again, this would be a sub-closed session, I think. I look forward to it. So that was my, um, my first match. That was my first match. So on that note, guys, I want to wish you a fabulous weekend, a happy 4th of July. Um, 4th of July, I am, I don't know what I'm doing. We'll see. We'll see. But I thought I would end it with a little bit of, um, you know what? I, I, I swear sometimes, you know, I, I could have written some of these things, but walking in through hell in sandals open sandals drinking gasoline i'm i think i do that shit every day so this song is one of my favorites uh the lyrics are incredible i know i have a lot of people that are like i don't like you know rap music it's i you know whatever these bars are just so resonating with me and apparently tomorrow he's dropping a new video um can't wait to see what that is, too. I can't be canceled. There's no happy 4th of July a way that you can stop me. I'm fully independent. There's no label who can drop me. Y'all been starting rumors. Let me help you with some. Yeah, he's a racist. He's a sexist. He's in love with Donald Trump. Y'all can't cancel me. My life is scandal free. There ain't no sponsors taking losses because the brand is me. My hands are clean. 
family and my fans agree. Y'all can't cancel me for facts because you're mad and weak. Go ahead and tell the world I'm ugly and racist. I braid my hair and I don't care about cultural appropriation. I moved to the ghetto, lived in the ghetto, there's no Caucasian. And still I loved every single one of my neighbors. How's a man say I'm clickbait? If he gonna use this face to get clicks on his page, y'all hypocrites are made. But I ain't tripping about these bullies, it ain't sixth grade. Go ahead and diss me trying to sell a couple mix.